Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Missouri United Methodist Church online worship on this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I actually saw some comments from some people this past week uh, who suggested that because of the current shutdown in our country, uh, we would not be celebrating Easter today. So let me assure you that we will indeed celebrate Easter on this Sunday morning. In fact, I remind you that very early in the history of the uh, Christian church, the practice of gathering for worship on Sunday rather than the Saturday Sabbath was instituted because Sunday was the day that Christ rose from the grave. And that means that every Sunday uh, service was to be an Easter service. Every worship gathering was to be a celebration of the risen Lord in our midst. So let me invite you to this celebration of the risen Lord today. And I want to do so by using one of the oldest greetings in the church. Uh, I will greet you with the words, Christ is risen, and then I'll invite you to respond with, He is risen indeed, and we'll do that three times together. So let's begin our Easter worship. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Now let's begin our Easter worship by hearing words of hope 
from our Holy Scriptures today. Our first lesson this morning is from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 10 through 20. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Arise, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our second reading is from Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 11 through 14. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Our Easter morning message is entitled, Wake Up, It's Morning. What does it take to wake you up in the morning? Someone has suggested that when it comes uh, right down to it, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who wake up with a smile saying, Good morning, Lord and those who roll over and groan, good Lord, morning, and they're usually married to each other. I know that's true in our marriage. My wife is an early, cheerful riser. However, I have a conviction that if you wake up too quickly, you might break something. To continue that vein of thought, I heard about a woman who was working with a therapist to deal with her depression, and when the therapist asked, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? She replied, no, he wakes himself up. You know, I still hear a toddler's voice, the voice of our uh, firstborn daughter, Rachel. She's a mother now with two children of her own. But back when she was old enough to speak, but not big enough to climb out of her crib, uh, she would wake up early in the morning and like a rooster announcing the dawn, she would call from her crib, Mama, Daddy, wake up. It's morning. And I've been hearing that voice as I worked with our scripture lessons for this morning's message. Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians, and by the living tradition, he writes to us as well, saying, Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light produces what is good and right, 
and true. And then he quotes words which were so familiar to the first readers of this letter that he didn't even have to identify the source. Which means, of course, that scholars ever since have been trying to figure out where they came from. They're not in Scripture anywhere. Our best guess is that it was part of an ancient uh, an early baptismal liturgy. And here are the words that Paul quotes. Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's another way of saying, wake up, it's morning. And I wonder sometimes how it actually happened on that first Easter morning. None of the gospel writers even tried to describe the resurrection. As a matter of fact, of course, there was nobody there but Jesus himself. But I wonder if we had been there inside the cold darkness of the tomb, standing beside the pale gray, lifeless body of Jesus, I wonder if we might have heard a voice. A voice that sounded like the same voice which spoke to the world into being on the first dawn of creation. A voice like the voice Moses heard on the mountain. A voice like the voice Jesus heard speaking from heaven at his baptism. A voice speaking into the cold darkness of that tomb just the way Jesus had spoken into the tomb of Lazarus. A voice that had the unmistakable ring of the voice of the living God saying, Jesus, wake up. It's morning. Now, I don't know how it happened for Jesus. I just know that it can happen for you and for me. In fact, I suspect that a part of what draws us to church on Easter Sunday is a deep hunger to hear a voice speaking to something deep in our slumbering souls saying, wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jim Moore, a United Methodist pastor and colleague of mine, likes to tell a story about his church organist, Carol. Carol was an outstanding musician, but she did something that no organist should ever do. She overslept on Easter morning and missed the sunrise service. She was terribly embarrassed, of course, but Jim and the church understood. They teased her a little bit about it, but it was all done lovingly and in good fun. However, the next Easter, her phone rang at 5 o'clock in the morning. Jolted awake by the loud ringing, she scrambled to answer it. It was her pastor, Jim Moore. And he said, Carol, it's Easter morning. The Lord is risen, and I suggest you do the same. And that's precisely the message of Easter. Christ is risen, and because of that, we too can walk in newness of life. We too can wake up to a whole new life. So I want to suggest three things that are powerful messages related to Easter. First, some of us here today as we worship together may wake up to a new sense of the presence of Christ in our own lives. In fact, I have some homework for you today, just a suggestion. But if possible, before you go to bed tonight, find the time, find a quiet place, maybe the back deck or the front porch or your favorite chair, where you can sit down and read the Easter stories. It'll probably take you 10 or 15 minutes. But read them the way they are recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them, in fact, as if you've never read them before. And watch for the unique ways the living Christ connects with individuals in those stories. Because each one is different. Each is tailor-made to meet the needs of that particular individual. 
beside the tomb, along the road, around a dinner table in Emmaus, in the upper room, on the beach. Each one is shaped in a way that allowed the risen Christ to become a living reality in their own experience. And that's exactly what Christ wants to do in each of our lives. That we might wake up to Christ's presence in our own experience. I can't predict how it will happen for you, but I know that it happens. And that, and that there's no better time than Easter to hear a voice saying, Wake up and Christ will shine on you. I particularly like the way Paul describes the awakened life in our scripture lesson from Romans. He speaks of laying aside or removing our old lives like dirty clothes and putting on a new and shining suit, if you will. It's as if Paul is speaking of stripping off the old wardrobe of our former life and dressing up in Easter clothes. You know that on Easter, people traditionally show up for worship uh, with fresh new clothes, many of them bright pastel, uh, pastel colors, all to celebrate our new life in Christ. And I think that's an appropriate symbolism for what Easter is all about. I have a colleague, United Methodist colleague, Don Shelby, who loved to tell during his pastoral ministry a dramatic and descriptive story of one person who awakened to the presence of Christ in their own experience and began to see the world and their own life in an entirely different manner. And I'm going to share this story in Don's own words. One morning while serving the church in San Diego, I was called into the sanctuary upon my arrival at the office. The custodian wanted me to see a strange offering which had been placed at the very center of the altar. Upon examination, we discovered it to be a pair of brown corduroy trousers, a belt, a white t-shirt, a pair of tan suede boots, and a note. There were bloodstains on the shirt and on the note. The note had been written on one of the offering envelopes which we placed on the back of the pews for people to use. A name was written large and underlined three times. And then the plea also underlined, please listen to God. On the reverse side was an address and a phone number. Where a signature was called for, a name was signed. I made a call to the number listed and reached a young man, the one who had written the note. I need not share all the details, but this young man, after a long wandering in a wasteland of drugs dropping out of sight, severing contact with his family, and getting involved in one mess after another, had finally come home. The night before he had reached rock bottom, there had been a struggle in the streets, a fight and a brutal beating. After making sure of the, victim's un of the victim, after making sure the victim of his uncontrolled assault was going to be all right in the emergency room of a nearby hospital, this young man came to the church found an unlocked door, and went into the sanctuary. He stayed there the rest of the night, praying and pondering. He asked God to forgive him and to show him the way home. He said all at once, the presence of God became very real in that room. He knew that he was forgiven. A wonderful peace came over him. He committed himself to following Christ. He determined to live differently from that day forward. And to symbolize his commitment... He had put on some clean clothes that he found that he had in his bedroll and left others behind as a kind of offering. 
giving God his old life. He said he walked out the door a new person with a new vision, a new hope, a new life. Now what a great story. That young man had definitely awakened to the presence of the living Christ in his own life. And so can we. Secondly, some of us may hear a voice that awakens us to a new way of living and being in this world. Paul is very practical in this passage. He's talking about real relationships among real people in a real congregation when he says, once you were in darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Clearly, this is a wake-up call to live in a whole new way. Benjamin Disraeli, the great British statesman of the 18th century, is quoted as saying, life is too short to be little. I like that. Life is too short to be little. The resurrection means that we live in a larger world than we ever expected. Our lives are meant to be bigger than we ever imagined. The power of the living Christ at work in us can enable us to be more than we ever dreamed. Life is too short to be little. Psalm 18 is one of the traditional readings for Easter Sunday, and I think for very good reason, because in that chapter, the psalmist says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and hear this, The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The resurrection sets us in a larger, broader place. The resurrection means that life has larger dimensions and broader horizons than we thought. God's love is stronger than our weaknesses. God's forgiveness is more stubborn than our sins. God's grace is greater than our failure. God's life is victorious over our death. So live as children of the light. Wake up to a new way of living. Perhaps some of us will go away from the empty tomb today having decided that life is too short to be little that life is too short to be petty or bitter or mean, that life is too short to be bigoted or selfish, that life is too short to be critical or judgmental, that life is too short to sell out to the values of the culture around us, that life is too short for anything less than being fully alive to the life of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Life is meant to be lived with the full power of the resurrection at work in each of us. Some of us will wake up to a new way of living. And then finally, some of us will hear a voice calling us to wake up to a new vision of hope for the world in which we live. This week I read a, an Easter article written by Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet is a United Methodist colleague, one of my favorite writers, visionaries, and, and theological thinkers. He said, the best way to make your dreams come true is to wake up. How can you have a dream come true if you don't wake up, he said. And then Sweet made the following observation. He noted that there's a deeply traditional pilgrimage that almost all Americans feel compelled to make at least once in their life to America's new heartland, Disney. Disney's role in Americans, America's modern mythology is absolutely critical, even central, Sweet says. Increasingly, in fact, the world sees Disney as the real symbol of America, not the Statue of Liberty, not the Constitution, not the Bill of Rights, 
To many people outside of our country, Mickey Mouse is the real symbol of our country and our culture. The recreational mecca called Disney World has now supplanted America's historical mecca called Washington, D.C. as the nation's most popular tourist site. And some now argue that Disneyland or Disney World is the spirit of America, the nation's key sacred space, the bearer of the images that carry American meaning and mission. In fact, Disney's mission statement is simple and straightforward, provide people happiness. And in its quest to master that mission, Disney focuses all of its energies in the realm of fantasy, convincing the whole country that to find happiness involves escaping reality. In fact, when you visit Disneyland, the central image is the castle of the Sleeping Beauty. Its graceful, soaring storybook towers and turrets preside over the rest of the theme park below. And yet, unlike all the other attractions in this wonderland, it's empty. Except for a few novelty shops on the ground level that cuts through it and a few walk-through displays on the mezzanine level. Other than that, this beautiful symbol of Disney's fantasy world come to life is empty. But its very emptiness is full of meaning. For that's precisely the function of Disney World or Disneyland to empty us of the harsh realities of life and render us unconscious to those things which are too hard to bear. That's a part of the experience of Disney, to become unconscious of the real world for a while and to enter a neverland of fantasy and fakery. Fittingly, Sleeping Beauty's Castle, a monument to a trance-like sleep, serves as the portal to this place. Now, if Disney entices participants to fall asleep in order to escape life, then the church's mission is to urge people to wake up in order to experience an authentic and a full life. Easter is a reveille call to all, announcing the dawning of a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is a radically new reality. The message of Easter wakes us from a stuporing slumber calls us forth from tombs of sin, bound in grave clothes of despair, and beckons us to put on robes of righteousness and hope. Easter is not an empty Disney fantasy. Easter is a rousing invitation to experience the transforming power of God, shaking every one of us awake to a whole new life in Christ. And it would be crazy for us to be lackadaisical as a church in the face of this miraculous gift, we should ask ourselves what galvanizes and mobilizes us more, Sleeping Beauty's empty castle or Jesus Christ's empty tomb. You can hear Paul in our text saying to us, wake up, Christ is risen from the dead. Wake up to a whole new experience of Christ's power and presence in your own life. Wake up to a whole new way of living and being in this world and wake up to a new vision of hope for our broken world. Easter morning is an annual wake-up call where we can hear a voice speaking to that deepest place in each of us. Make no mistake about it. That voice is echoing from an empty tomb. And it's the voice of the risen Christ saying, wake up. It's morning.
Amen. On this Easter Sunday morning, I now invite us all into a time of prayer together. Let us pray. Great God of victory, the very earth celebrates your triumph as fresh green life bursts forth from beneath the cold earth. And we, like the first green blades of spring, reach up toward the radiance of your risen sun. And through him we are free. Because he is risen, sin and death have no power to hold us back any longer. Let us now rise to the challenges of these trying times with the energy of people who have been given a new life, a new strength, a new purpose. Awaken us to the delights we often overlook in our routine haste and worry. Show us the incredible beauty all around us in ordinary places and in ordinary faces. Show us gladness and delight in the midst of serious business. Show us energy for change in the world of our regular ruts. Show us the solid ground beneath us in the midst of a quaking, breaking, and unstable world. In the joy and hope of this Easter morning, we pray for those people in places in our world where death and domination rule, where the powers that be ignore the poor and those in need, where war never seems to end, where children are hungry, where parents grieve because they cannot provide, where tragedy happens and death abounds senselessly. We pray for those struggling with addiction and chronic illness that debilitates. In the joy and hope of this Easter morning, help us realize the depth and breadth of what it means to be your Easter people. May we see that we're called to go into places in our lives and in our world to work for the fullness of life you intend for us all. May we bear witness to your promise of resurrection, always trusting that love is stronger than death. Help us leave behind like empty grave clothes all the cowering and craving in which the world has schooled us so well that we may step forth full of courage and faith into a new day, a new season of growth and grace, a time of victory over every temptation and torment of the evil one whose power over us is ended. This we pray in the name of our risen Savior who has triumphed over death, hell, and the grave and who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
To conclude our time together in worship on this Easter Sunday morning, I'd like to invite us to share in something called the Love Feast, uh, sometimes called uh, the Agape Meal. It's a Christian fellowship meal recalling the meals that Jesus shared with his disciples during his ministry, and it expresses uh, the sense of community and sharing and fellowship that's enjoyed in the family of Christ. Although its origins in the early church are closely interconnected with the origins of the Lord's Supper, the two services became quite distinct and really shouldn't be confused with one another. Uh, while the Lord's Supper has been practiced universally among Christians throughout the church's history, the love feast uh, has appeared only at certain times and among certain uh, denominations or Christian groups. The modern history of the love feast actually began when Count Zinzendorf of the Moravians in Germany introduced a service of sharing food and prayer and religious conversation and hymns in 1727. Uh, John Wesley first experienced it among the Moravians when he was a missionary to America in Savannah, Georgia, 10 years later in 1737. He noted in his diary how meaningful that service was for him, and it quickly became a feature in the evangelical revival and a regular part of the early Methodist society meetings in Great Britain and throughout the English-speaking world. And as Methodists began immigrating to North America, they made these love feasts an important part of early American Methodism. So initially, um, and ideally, the love feast is celebrated around a table where people just simply share... Uh, uh, elements of a meal, maybe uh, some fresh baked bread or some sweet bread or crackers or cookies and then some kind of beverage. It could be coffee or tea or water or lemonade or orange juice. Uh, and it was just a time to share in a meal, celebrate our unity in Christ, uh, maybe share testimonies and scriptures and sing a hymn or two. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite us to share this together. But what I'd like for you to do is to extend this love feast, this agape meal, into your day-to-day. So it means that if you happen to be watching this message at 8 o'clock, you may want to take a late morning breakfast or a, or a mid-morning brunch and continue the conversation. As the Moravians would have done it, they would have, they would have shared scriptures, shared some stories about what, on this Easter Sunday, they would have shared stories about what the resurrection of Christ, their new life in Christ, means to them. So can I just encourage you to just extend this love feast into your homes, whatever setting you happen to be in today? So I'm going to, um, before we share in the, I happen to have a McDonald's biscuit that I picked up on the way into church this morning and my cup of uh, caribou coffee. That's what I'm going to use. Use what you feel led to use. But I'm going to use a prayer that was written by Charles Wesley, uh, specifically as a prelude as an entrance into the love feast or the agape meal. It can be sung to the tune of, this is my father's world. And so I'm going to sing that as much as well as I can. The, the words will be on the screen and I'm going to invite all of you at home or wherever you're at this morning to join me in singing this prayer as an introduction to us sharing this meal together. Father of earth and heaven, thy hungry children feed. Thy grace be to our spirits given, that true immortal bread. 
Grant us and all our race in Jesus Christ to prove the sweetness of thy pardoning grace, the manna of thy love. And as a way of celebrating uh, God's pardoning grace and the manna, which is the everyday occurrence of God's love in our lives, uh, I'm just going to eat just a small bite of this, uh, this biscuit and, and just ask you to join me in sharing this meal as a way of celebrating the life that Christ gives us. I took more than I should have. <laughs> That's a dry biscuit, but it's a gift from God. And I'm going to wash this down with just some, some of my coffee and invite you to take some beverage and, and complete this meal in that way. Now again, this is a love feast that celebrates um, the unity we share in Christ, uh, the daily manna of God's love, the grace we receive each and every day. So take time with your family, with your friends, whoever you happen to be gathered with at home as you're um, sequestered in your, in your house and shut in right now during these strange and, and uh, crazy times. But just celebrate the power, the presence, the love of the risen Christ in our midst. Glad you got to be with us in worship today, and we'll see you next week.